just going to demo it. No. <laughs> Welcome if you're online or in person. It is so warm here. If you didn't want to come out and you still want to make prayer, it's warm in here. We're good. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the beginning of a new year and the beginning of a new series. And the new series is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Some of us recognize that feeling, right? <laughs> um, and <clears throat> so for the next eight weeks, we're going to talk about four different disciplines, spiritual disciplines that will help your life, help your spiritual life. Dr. Dana introduced it last week. She did a great job so that we can just leap right in tonight. So thank you for, there's a lot of people here considering how cold it is out there. Thank you. Okay, so let's get started. Silence, two weeks on silence and solitude. Until sixth grade, I lived on a farm in North Carolina. We didn't have iPads or iPhones or iMacs. I had iBoards. <laughs> we had nothing. <laughs> Grandmother would say, get outside, don't get under my feet, see you later. So I would be outside under a tree on a quilt my grandmother made and look up at the leaves and the trees and the spaces of the <laughs> leaves. And there was nothing to do except make mud pies, which I was tired of that. But now I have an iPad, an iPhone, an Apple Watch, and three MacBook Pros. <laughs> so I can stay busy if I want to, right? There's an unending number of things to do. The second we get any hint of boredom, we can grab something. We just reach for some digital device to keep us busy. We check text, email, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, play games, and there's probably some I've never heard of. If you were born somewhere after 1995, then you probably can't remember a time when infinity wasn't in your pocket or in your purse. Think about it. However, some of us can. How many can remember? Before, yeah, oh gosh, we must have the old crowd. <laughs> I'm going to get attacked on the way out. <laughs> but think about this. There were times when we would fly cross country and you took a book, a hardback book, because you didn't have a Kindle or a phone to read it on. And once you finished the book, you just stared out the window or talked to your neighbor because there weren't Karens back then. You could talk to them, okay? <laughs> Isn't that true? It is true. Also, if you were in a coffee shop and you were in line and there's five people in front of you, you just stood there and waited, right? The extroverts would strike up a conversation. The introvert, that'd be me, would smile and nod Secretly thinking, why, dear God, is this total stranger talking to me? <laughs> so anybody remember waiting on a bus stop, stuck in traffic, sitting and waiting for class? All those moments are gone because we just suck them up and take them. A Microsoft survey found that 77% of young adults answered yes when they were asked, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. First thing. 
So that means they're hardly ever disconnected from it. Now, all of this has profound implications for our being discipled by Jesus. We're not available. When's the last time you asked him a question while you were waiting somewhere? We're not available for life experiences that he has to offer. Some of the most beautiful moments I have ever had, exchanges in a restaurant or waiting in line. With no plan, not anything supposed to happen, and God intervenes. What if I hadn't been paying attention to that little nudge? I was not doing anything. So the new normal of hurried digital distraction, that could be a book, (laughs) is robbing us of the ability to be present. We're not even connecting when we see people. To be present to God, to be present to others, even present to our own souls. Think about that. Andrew Sullivan in the New York Magazine wrote this. There are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization-specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they're shape-shifted under the pressure. The threat is to our souls. At this rate, we might forget we have one. The noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, draining out, drowning out the one, the input we need the most. So no wonder we don't have answers. No wonder we don't have peace. So let me share a story. I love this story. Now, if you're compassion, Rachel, I just want to let you know it's going to end well. She's already got her Kleenex. Okay. <laughs> I call the story Tattoo the Basset Hound. So John Ortberg tells a delightful story in leadership journals that describes how a pastor or a leader's life can sometimes get out of whack. Well, personally, I think this could be any of us, especially leaders, though. Some time ago, a newspaper in Tacoma, Washington, carried the story of Tattoo the Basset Hound. (coughs) Tattoo didn't intend to go for a walk that evening, but when his owner shut his leash in the car door and took off for a drive, Tattoo still outside the vehicle. He had no choice. Motorcycle officer Terry Filbert noticed a passing vehicle with something dragging along behind it. The basset hound picking him up and putting him down as fast as he could. He chased the car to a stop and Tattoo was rescued. We're okay, right? Okay, was rescued. But not before the dog had reached a speed of 20 to 25 miles per hour rolling over several times. I know, the mercies are having a hard time with this. (laughs) Leaders often live like tattoo. Our day is marked by picking them up, putting them down as fast as we can. And we just keep moving. How many can feel the pain of that? Yeah. (laughs) Hurry and noise and incessant busyness are enemies of a healthy spiritual life. So that might say that we don't have a spiritual life a healthy spiritual life. I wanted to share a prophetic word. I use this prophetic word when I do my writing preparation, when I'm trying to get in the mood to write. 
I used this, and I, and I felt like the Lord said to include it tonight. One morning in 2017, the Lord gave me a word for a lady who was a publisher. I didn't know she was a publisher. I knew she was an assistant to a widely known ministry leader. I believe at the time they were out of Richmond. And uh, I knew her just as his assistant. And God said to me, to say to her, you are a factory producing printed pages. The vision that I saw as he gave me the word was an open book and sparks like um, twi- those little sparkle things we, we do, 4th of July, and the sparkles were coming up out of the pages of the book. There is a spark of life in each page, not just the book, but each page. As the pages come off the assembly line, a group of intercessors were praying and anointing over them. The Spirit of God to deliver the pages into the right hand. Each page has a destiny. Pray carefully for the destiny of the pages, for it will be fulfilled. Whatever you said, good or bad, will be fulfilled over those pages. Then I see that one book being placed in the hands of an owner, then moving to the second, third, fourth, and fifth person. Same book. It sits on a shelf in the last owner's home. And every time he glances at the spine of the book, it gives him life. Isn't that beautiful? I'm thinking, she has a whole lot more in there than I knew about. (laughs) And so I met her that morning and gave her that word. So tonight, my prayer for this is that these words, the words God gave me, not the ones I make up and throw in, but the words that God gives me tonight would be like that book, that you would take them with you, you'd receive them, and that they would stay there and they would be given to many generations from you. Okay? So what does the Bible teach us about silence and solitude? God met his people in silent moments. In 1 Kings 9, 12, Elijah was asked to go out and stand on the mountain for the Lord to speak to him to pass by. And he was discouraged, frightened, and upset because he was doing the Lord's work, and he thought that he was the only one left. Most of us think most days we're doing the work alone. And a great powerful wind came by, and the Lord wasn't in it. And the earthquake, we know, didn't have it, and the fire didn't have it. And after the fire, a gentle whisper came, and that was when Elijah heard the Lord speaking to him. That's when he speaks. So if we're connected to something that's noise, we're not going to hear him speak. In 1 Samuel 3, 3 through 9, we see that God spoke to Samuel as a child. He had no training to hear. I believe this story shows us that we need to learn to hear God. When people come to me for prophetic training, the number one thing is you have to be able to hear God. And if you can't, we can teach you how to do that. Everybody can hear God. And think about that. He's lying there. And he hears a whisper. And he's a child. What if everybody we disciple, we took through a time of helping them learn to hear, and we are mentoring them several weeks of of how to hear God? What if they turned out like Samuel? That would be beautiful. 
the Bible not only tells us about silence and solitude, but it also encourages silence. Psalm 62.1, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. That word silence, is that up there okay? Means silence, a quiet waiting, a repose. So we're waiting for him in silence. Ecclesiastes 3.7, there is a time to be silent and a time to speak. I think we probably got that one mixed up. <laughs> and 77% or 97% we talk and the other part we listen. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Again, in a solitary place, silence. Luke 5.16, but he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Desolate there means solitary and desolate. And that means it's, he's talking about times, not once, but times. He had a regular rhythm of doing that. Mark 6.31, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He didn't say eat. I'd have been thinking, eat, get rest. <laughs> but he said, a quiet place and get some rest. And that quiet place in the Greek means solitary. We're going to go away from everybody. Now, it also means a solitary place that also provides needed quiet, freedom from disturbance. And the quiet place wasn't a one-time thing. It was an ongoing part of their life. So for thousands of years, Christians have also retreated to sit silently in the presence of God. But I think we've lost some of that. I have this quote that I found that I think is beautiful. It's from St. John of the Cross. He called silence the first language of God. Isn't that beautiful? The first language of God. So I speak English as my first language. The only other language is tongues that I speak as my second language. <laughs> but first language, God speaks is silence. So if you don't wait for a moment, you're not going to hear the rest of it. So what happens when we choose to be present with Jesus? When we're hungry and passionate to be with him. I think we just think it's like a car appointment. You know, just get up, get over there, <laughs> get her done. <laughs> but if we're really hungry and passionate and we know what it can be like to be in his presence, nothing compares, nothing. Others get to know Jesus because we bring Jesus to them. We do that by being in his presence. When you're with anybody, good or bad, when you leave, you start acting like them. Occasionally, you'll say the same things, you'll do the same things. So when we're with Jesus, the more with Jesus, the more we feel his presence, and then we give it to other people because we're transformed by his presence. Daily, I say, somewhere in the day, from coffee on, <laughs> I want to bring Jesus. Like when I'm thinking about where I'm going, I want to bring Jesus. I want to be Jesus for them. Not that I'm that good, but if Jesus, if I get out of the way, Jesus can do some wonderful things. The importance of silence. 
Silence allows a connection to God beyond what word can express. It is a special gift for us to cultivate. And I think we have to cultivate it. I don't think most of us have been discipled to sit in silence and to be by ourselves and listen to the Lord. I, I was mentored by somebody who did that for me, that took me places, and we would spend half days even. Silence enables us to let God reach out to us. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. So it's saying, if you're going to know me, you have to be still. You have to be still. And we are so restless. We're like vibrating. <laughs> if Jesus, who is the Son of God, understood how important it was to find a quiet place where he could be and where he could pray, how much more should we need it? The more we spend time with God, the more we will become like him. Because God designed us so that when we spend time with him, his nature and our nature begin to become one. We become his nature. So what compels us? Think about it. What compels you to watch a football game? And what compels you maybe not to watch the football game and to spend time with Jesus? I'm not saying do that. Don't throw me anything. <laughs> but I'm saying think about what compels you. So if I don't know Jesus and I've never felt his love and his presence, I don't know that I want to go there. But I don't think we can do it alone. I think we have to ask him to help. And it's a vital part of our Christian life. I think without it, we're like, like a dying limb on a tree. And so spending time with him refreshes and gives vitality back to that branch. So Paul talks about being compelled in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and holds us tightly. Because we are convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means all died with him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives. But lives that are poured out to him. The one who died for us and now lives again so that we can live. Now, we also see David as he was motivated or compelled to take Goliath, to defend God's name. Do I think enough of God to do that? That was huge. He didn't even have to go away and pray about it. He just was on it. Or Daniel. They had such a conviction about their God that nobody could stop them. I want to be like that. I'm definitely going to need a little help. <laughs> I want to share with you a story. We have time to do it. Um, I do prayer ministry. And I had got permission to, to share this. Pastor Brad always said, did you have permission to share that? <laughs> I got permission. I want him to breathe. Okay. <laughs> He's back there smiling. <laughs> Because it is an amazing story. I'm not sure if I were him, I would have given permission to share it. But So it's a young guy. He's 32 now. He, um, back when I met him at another church somewhere years ago, he was kind of a bad boy, and he'd tell you that. And he'd have a different girlfriend every two or three months. After he'd rained that one, he'd go to the next one. So I didn't have a lot of use for him. I just said hi and kept moving. 
So recently, uh, maybe three months ago, he called me. And he said, I don't know if you remember me. And I said, I remember. <laughs> and he said, well, if you don't want to talk to me, that's okay. But I need help. But he sounded like he was ready. That's the key. So he said, I finally married somebody and settled down. I thought, well, that was a miracle right there. <laughs> and she had just left him. And he said, could you help me? I have issues. <laughs> I wanted to say, uh-huh. <laughs> but I thought, just be nice. <laughs> Keep open here. <laughs> and um, so I, they had just purchased maybe six months ago, I think. I might be off a little on the timing. A 61-acre farm to work, the two of them. And they want natural everything. So at that point, they had 1,000 chickens, 45 turkeys. This was before Thanksgiving. Turkeys are gone now. Um, they now have pigs. And I can't remember what else they had, but they were beginning. He's so smart that he's watching YouTube and building a house from scratch. I'm like, wow. Some of the things he couldn't do, he's invited some people. Like, it took four people to move the wood stove in, so he had to get help. Um, so he's smart. It's not that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's done his homework. And the eggs are wonderful. Some of us, um, they'll come into town, and I'll leave my cooler on Sunday mornings, and he'll put, like, nine dozen eggs in my cooler. <laughs> and I hand them out to everybody that loves his eggs. So... He said, okay, I have, have some issues. So I said, okay. So the other day, about two weeks ago, we had our regular appointment. Now, we do it by phone. We don't do it in person, and we don't do it by Zoom. We just do phone because they don't really have a Wi-Fi connection out there much. And they don't, they don't, I don't think they have a laptop out there anyway. And, um, you know, he just doesn't have a way to do it. So we do it on the phone. So the Chickens think he's the mama because they follow him around all day. <laughs> so as I'm counseling him, I'm hearing chicken noises in the background. Right? <laughs> so sometimes it's interesting. So he says, so if you can just picture that. So they build a little at a time whatever's the most urgent thing to do next. Okay. So he said, I said, so what, what do you need this thing? What, what happened that you want to work on? He goes, rage. And it seems to be an ongoing thing. So I said, he said, I, I raged three times this week. I said, okay, just give me one. We'll work with that. So he said, I was building a unit of three chicken nests that go in a chicken coop. So he'd build three at a time. He'd set them into the place. And then he'd build more, you know, until he had enough for all the chickens. Well, he's smart. So he hardly ever does anything wrong. And he went to the chicken coop to put the three, set them in place, and it wouldn't go in. And he hammered and he banged and he did whatever he could, and he couldn't get it in there. And he lost it. Lost it. Poor chickens, right? <laughs> so um, we were talking, and I said um, something about, Morgan, his wife being there, he said, no, she's not here. He says, this always happens when she's not here. 
He said, the equipment breaks down, this happens, that happens, everything happens when she's not here. So I said, does she have an anger problem or a rage problem? And he said, no. So I'm, I'm just trying not to smile out loud on the phone. <laughs> so I said, um, I think what you need to do is you need to ask God to forgive you for raging over what happened. And then I think you need to go out to the chicken coop and apologize to the chickens. Okay, now I'm smiling as I'm doing this. And uh, he, because he said, Morgan's gone. And, and the, he said, and none of the chickens will go to those three nests that I put in. All the others are full. None of the chickens will go to those three. So I'm thinking, I, I know the problem. <laughs> so I said, and then you need to go and apologize to the chickens. Well, there was silence. He said, fine, I'll do that. So he said, he's, he's just all worked up, and he says, I know God gave us this farm. We got it for a steal. He said, I, we've done all the homework. I know he wants us to succeed. He wants me to succeed. And God is saying to me as he's talking, I didn't give him the farm to succeed. I gave it to him to build character. So I'm, all I can do not to laugh out loud on the phone because I'm thinking this is just a treasure right here. This is a moment. So God shows me a Petri dish. I didn't even know what one was hardly. I had to go look it up when I got off the phone. And what God said was that he puts everybody, he had put this boy in a Petri dish and he was adding stuff to build character. So think about this. Your environment is built perfectly for you to build character. So I told him, it's not the success, it's your response. <laughs> you can see he got it. He went, got it. <laughs> so a couple days later, <laughs> he texts me and he said, I did it. The nests are full. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. <laughs> anyway. Okay, back to the spiritual disciplines of solitude and silence. All right, think about the benefits. I think one of the benefits is discernment and clarity and decision-making. When you're off on your own and you don't sit with God for the day, not for the whole day, but spend time with God and in his presence, you have no peace and you don't have wisdom and you'll go off and make wrong decisions. Sometimes, even as you're sitting in silence or, in, or praying, God will give you the exact answer, like he did with me for him. <laughs> All right, number two, preparation for an upcoming challenge. When you know there's a challenge coming, there's nothing like spending time with God to have peace before you have to address it. Or three, strength to rejoin the fight. Troops, when they're on the front line for so long, they will take them and move them to the back and move them to the front so that they can have R&R &R so they don't get fatigued and make wrong decisions or lose their lives. Number four, we can control our speech better if we have been with Jesus and the anxiety to be heard. That's a big one. Number five, we remember our identity and our destiny. We forget who we are. You ever forgotten who you are? Kind of like, I did that, and that's not me. What, what was that? I forgot who I am. 
I remember sitting with Jesus. In, in the How to Hear God class, I teach people to look at Psalm 139, 17 and 18, where he says that he has a vast amount of thoughts about us. That's each one of us. And they're good. You know, and everybody's first thought is, I didn't know he had one good thought, much less a vast number. So what if every morning you ask him, what is the good thought you have about me today? That'll do wonders for your identity. I was doing fine with that. And one day, God gave me one that kind of knocked me out of balance. And I took it and put it on a post-it, and I put it in my kitchen. And when I open my kitchen drawer, drawer cabinet, I see it. And it still has that same effect on me. Okay, number six, knowing God and doing exploits for him. I think that's where we get the strength to do the exploits is when we've done it with Jesus. So, you have homework for your reading pleasure. <laughs> think about this. Number one, you have to make a commitment. Now, if you need the list, you want to write it down, in the app, Harvest VA, if you download that app, you can get to the notes so that you can see all of this. But yeah, I think you have to make a commitment to incorporate silence and solitude into your life. If you don't make the commitment, you won't even do it tomorrow. Or if you make a weak commitment, it'll be three days out and then you'll forget it. You have to be compelled and say, I can't live without it. That's where I am now is, I don't want to live without it. I will work my schedule around it. I think if you can feel the pain of not doing it and the benefits of doing it, you'll be all in. All right, number two, ask God to help you with your commitment. I don't think we can do it alone. So we need to ask God to help us. Three, find times and places. I have done that. <laughs> Early morning lunch break, on the way to work from home from work, you can do it in the car, in the closet, in a spare room, in a garden, in a corner of Panera. I've found you, you can, you know. Um, I used to hide in the atrium, library atrium at Regent. And I would face the wing chair out so that nobody would see me and they'd walk by. And I would spend my whole lunch hour with him. The next one, even if it's not perfect, go for it. Think about this. Susanna Wesley had 19 children, and she got her solitude and her silence. It was supernatural, I believe. <laughs> but what she would do is she would throw the apron over her head, and don't nobody bother mama when the apron's over her head. <laughs> I'm not sure what the consequence was, but I sent a pattern to my um, daughter-in-law of an apron. <laughs> Not that I have 19 children, <laughs> but I thought it would be a, a cute reminder. And then for extra credit, this is way extra credit, okay? Have you ever thought of going on a fast from unnecessary noise and socializing? Yeah, I never thought of that. No media that you don't have to do. And no unnecessary socializing. You can choose not to go. You can put it off. Anyway, that I believe will have great benefit. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, my prayer for all of us is that you would put a passion in each of us to want to be silent before you and hear your voice, to choose times of solitude. I pray that we would intentionally take time away from the busyness, the hurry of our lives, so that we may hasten to hear you, the God who speaks to us in the silence of our heart. Holy Spirit, remind us Holy Spirit, remind us, should we forget this, of the spiritual disciplines? May we be transformed into your likeness by sitting in your presence. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. If anyone listening does not know you, may they choose to be still and know that you are truly God. And we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So may you be blessed beyond measure in the time that you spend with God.